You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! The album wasn't out. He had a song charting, uh... It was My Demons, actually, mm-hmm. was already charting when I had talked to him. Um, and then I was like, hey, man, let's jam. And he's like, cool, come out. And I, br- I bring like this, this, all this gear, like, you know, that I'm used to playing with, like this huge pedal board. And I'm sure I played all the songs wrong, you know, <laughs> because at this time, like, I didn't play a baritone guitar. I, my lowest tuning was drop C. And, um, which wasn't too too bad for demons, but uh, which was one of the song I learned. And then I went out and met with him. We jammed. Anyway, we rehearsed uh, for two weeks. I ended up getting on the internet, buying a baritone guitar overnight, got it, learned the rest of the record, and two <laughs> weeks later we went on tour. And me and Dustin still talk about it to this day. I bet it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name's Corey Peza. That dude with the big face right there is Ben. And we're also here with Siobhan Cronin. How's it going, Hey, guys? Corey. Yeah, I don't know what Ben is doing, but inspecting something on his camera. Yeah, if you're, if you're just listening, just keep listening. You don't want to watch this. It's just awkward. Um, but we have a very special episode today. If you've listened to our show at all, you've, you've heard of our, our guest, uh, the legendary Brock Richards of star set fame and it, more importantly Siobhan's husband <laughs> apparently the better half according to Ben who he changes who's the better half depending on who's his favorite person on the call so today Brock trumped me and he stuck around even for his own intros because he just wants to see what goes on when he's not around because I'm the dreamy one <laughs> he wants to make sure that we don't have any standing ways and that he's editing out <laughs> and, he, and he's like a high pass filter so, he wants to make sure the audio quality is on par with his expectations. Yeah, good. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint <laughs> in advance. <laughs> Just so you guys know, there's a lot of this. And we're sorry. But you might enjoy it because Brock's cute. Absolutely. Well, of course, and for anyone listening, please go to 2020-d.com, like and subscribe. This is a great episode coming up, but we also have a lot of other great episodes. So please go and binge watch and listen all to all of them because we've done a lot of these and held out for Brock for a long time. So it was finally a wonderful opportunity to get him on after yeah, so many episodes. We held so out many for Siobhan's husband. It tells you <laughs> the quality of guests and gene pool for which we are choosing from. Absolutely. So here we are, part one, with my bandmate, my husband, my partner in crime, Brock Richards. Sure, Brock. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with my cohorts, my compatriots, my Law Symphony bandmates, my co-hosts, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. How's it going, guys? What up? I'm so excited. <laughs> and I am particularly energetic today, mostly because I get to interview my husband, Brock Richards, also guitar player for Star Set of Live My Last. So many more things than just my husband. He's obviously going to like tell me off throughout this whole He's episode. Infamous infamous we're like yeah what 70 something episodes in you've been referred to multiple times so the, our, yeah as shabrock together our, our, audience, our audience of of several dozen people are clamoring for this one well you guys even have a fan like have fan instagrammers that like love you guys as a couple like it's a it's kind of amazing like i'm followed by like shabron shavon shavon and brock 
like lovers.com or something like that on all my stories. Oh my and I'm like, who the fuck are these clowns? Well, I like to tell everyone Brock is the great white buffalo, which he deemed himself because literally I'll go to parties in Miami and it's like, oh yeah, I have a husband, but he's like not here. And everyone's like, oh, Brock must be so busy. Like he's always gone doing all this stuff. And he just, like, he makes a rare appearance and it's like a celebrated event. And I'm like, man, I work so hard and nobody gives a shit that I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> we care. We care. I mean, it, I am the great white buffalo. I don't come around often. Yeah. But, well, anyway, we spend a good amount of time setting up the scene. So everybody that's tuning into the, the audio cast, you have to watch the YouTube because Brock is showing off the studio that he built. I will take no credit for it, but well, I like to I'm give curious. him input on Can guitars. Can you go buffalo tipping in, in Circleville, Ohio? <laughs> no, we do not have buffalo in Ohio. <laughs> okay, I was just curious. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we do somewhere. Well, but... there's at least one great white buffalo in Ohio. Yeah, the Brock Richards. Well, because we, we were talking, Brock, before you got on, Benny was like, oh, can you do like, I'm going to be like milking a cow in Circleville. I'm like, I don't think that's what anybody at his farm actually does. So don't no, get we, too excited. Is it a pot farm? Was it like, no. surprise, Ashton Kutcher's in the fucking... <laughs> Corn and soybeans were born. We don't have livestock, so... Oh. We, we have a dairy farm right behind us, and it, it smells great most days. <laughs> yeah. He tells me to go on runs around the farm, and then you pass by all the cows, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't breathe. I'm not, not sure I'll do that again. <laughs> nice, nice fresh methane to really get the uh, the blood pumping, right? Yeah. So Ben, you're you're remarkably quiet. Normally, you're already jumping all over this. What's going on? I'm just thinking of all the fun things Brock and I could do. Yeah. <laughs> ben I'm so is happy to see you. How's your I'm show happy going? To see him. It's been a very long time, and I'm so proud. I'm like a proud father because I found out Brock that you finally got that badass PRS, and even though you can't possibly play it in your band. Who gives a flying fuck? Put it on your wall. <laughs> yeah, right? You talk, you're like, hey man, how much would that cost? I'm like, entirely too much money for you to buy considering you have two billion streams. You got to show the back, Brock, where it's got your name I, on it. That's the I, coolest part to me. I mean, is this is a podcast and most people probably are listening on a podcast. So, you you find so defeatist. <laughs> you use your imagination, but we do have the YouTube if you want to pop on, subscribe, do all those 2020-d.com, go. Do That's it. right. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all of our listeners. Yes. So this is a historic event, Brock. Thank you for actually joining us. And, oh yeah, uh, definitely. Thank you for lending your wife to us for uh, you know <laughs> every you know several hours at a time. Well, I think we're almost common law married at this point, considering the <laughs> right. the Lost Symphony project. Like what? Like was it seven years? We're we're like a year and a half off from being. If if, if you guys weren't together, we could have been common law married. Yeah, I mean, basically, Me, for the amount of time we spend together. But we can, we, we can thank Brock for being my honorary in-home engineer who's sat and had well, to press play, record, actually, stops, I was thinking about that today, and uh, I like it when you guys start new projects because somehow I end up with more gear. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how many microphones I have now and like th this whole setup. Just keep being useful, Brock. I didn't buy this. This is this just is. keep being useful, Brock. <laughs> and actually, I will tell you that we're doing the show, The Neurotic Guitarist. And as much as I, I would love to talk about guitars and stuff with you, I think that you and Siobhan are funnier as people and couples. And our director was saying that you and I factioning off and Siobhan and Cindy factioning off would be hilarious. And we yeah. just we went to Vegas and went to Red Rocks and then rented a private helicopter. And I'm like, dude, we could do so much fun shit. <laughs> and then write yeah. it off like we even wrote off our butt as a fucking business expense <laughs> oh, oh my god that's a great topic for the podcast <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyways waiting so, as as he hit what is that a dab rig <sighs> you better believe it bro thank you honey badger <laughs> oh, have, have you never watched our podcast brock <laughs> why would it <laughs> i i only listened to it i, oh, I actually have never watched it I'm surprised you didn't hear the. Uh, I, I try to mute the coughing as much as possible when I do this. <laughs> there, as I'll, he I'll get rid of that one right there. there. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I would hear all sorts of feedback from Brock if he actually watched the video cast. Like, oh, why did you do your eyebrows so dark, or why is your hair all messed up? <laughs> Those are the type of things that I hear from Brock. <laughs> you should hear him when we're actually working on music together. But anyway, what's we'll he talking about? Your eyebrows when no. you're working on a track. He's like, your eyebrows <laughs> yeah. are too hairy for this Paganini. <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's the opposite like i'm pretty easy going to work with but like she'll just like yell at you for something that you already know and like you'll be fixing <laughs> something and she'll yell at you and be like that's not right and then you're like i know i'm fixing it 
<laughs> is she is she is she like like honing in on her Anne Marie Cronin skills? Yeah, I guess maybe. I, I don't is that know. where it comes? Because she's so find... demure around us. But like, I know Cindy. Everyone's like, I don't know how you guys could possibly not get along. Because she's the fucking devil. Because she's a woman. And she gets angry and she has <laughs> hormones and she just gets angry sometimes. And I don't see that side of Siobhan. So if like you were like, oh yeah, Siobhan got mad and beat the shit out of me. Like I wouldn't believe you. At first. No, Siobhan's never purposely mean. It's when she gets in her, like, thought process, like, <laughs> b- manners go out the window. It's just, like... <laughs> I wouldn't say manners. It's just very this demanding. But this is what marriage is, right? Okay, so when you're around someone, it's like my mom says the same thing. It's like, oh, all my friends think I'm amazing and I'm so easy to get along with. I'm like, yeah, because they get to see you 10% of the time. Like, I am great 10% of the time, even 50% of the time. But when it's 100% of the time, you're going to see the meltdowns and the time when my hair is crazy and I'm not wearing makeup. So, Brock, it's great to have you. And uh, (laughs) why why don't you fill in our, once again, several dozen listeners and and viewers as to what you've been doing this past year without touring as a touring musician i mean a lot of just whatever i want to do um (laughs) uh, like i really started like studying guitar and like instead of just playing and like learning stuff like actually studying it uh mainly because siobhan's my wife now and she showed me what's possible because she's so unbelievable at her instrument that makes me want to be like that so i I don't know. You don't give yourself enough credit. But I mean, I I will attest to that. He has been like practicing super hardcore, like really working on technique stuff and taking lessons. Neither he nor I will ever be remotely as good as you. That is is not true. That is not true. Get me a woodchipper. Good good is subjective, you know. I think, you know, great is less subjective. Okay. Well, Virtuoso but, is even less subjective, master class. I hear you've been uh, you've been working with our friend Richard Shaw. Yeah, yeah, t- I took a few lessons with him. Um, I just, he's the only one I've taken lessons from, but I also, like, there's a couple other guys that I'm going to take a few lessons from because it's always good to learn like, from people. Is that, and, is that ever or, or just recently? Like, did you, did you take lessons when you were younger? I had like three guitar lessons when I was 15. And my, f- one of the first guitar lessons was here's the minor scale, here's the major scale, here are is every single mode that's the first okay lesson. <laughs> that's the first lesson so of course starting guitar i was l- like literally so lost i'm like i don't even understand so a mode is like a different scale and anyway you don't teach a beginning guitar player how yeah, to play modes that's a good way and to it, scare someone off yeah so quickly. basically i i really didn't learn much music theory until like college and then I figured it out eventually. You know, so what's what, even more fucked up is when you take a philosophy class and then they're like, the modes of this, the modes of that. And you're like, I am even more confused than I was before. <laughs> you're always confused. Siobhan, do you get that? Do you get that, Siobhan? Modes, the infinite mode? Yeah, do you get Sort of. I didn't take much thought? philosophy. So to be honest, I'm not oh, 100% sure. Oh, oh. I, I was more of the math, science, economics route of the, the academic class. You weren't a hippie. So. See, that, uh, no. that scares me off. Math, science, all that stuff. <laughs> well, I'm really not making much use of it at this point. So we'll see down the line if it proves to be useful. But but anyway, no, but this, I'm glad we brought this up though, because this is interesting. And this is why it's it's very cool. Like, even though we're married, whatever, it's very cool to work with Brock because I'm such a like in the box, like learned, went to school type thinker. And Brock, Rules. having had very little formal training, has a completely different way of, hearing music, approaching it, playing the instrument. And so I, I think it's inter- you should talk more about like how you got started and like how old you were when you picked up guitar and like what happened after those lessons. Because I think it's a cool trajectory. Well, I mean, I picked up guitar when I was 15 when I realized my rap career wasn't going to take off. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then, I mean, m- my philosophy was fake it till you make it. And I just like... I was, therefore, I am. You manifest. So like, yeah. But what, so, what made you pick up guitar, though? Like, why were you drawn to guitar? I don't know. My buddy had a broken acoustic at his house, and I learned how to play, of course, Smoke on the Water, because he only had, like, three strings on this <laughs> acoustic. And I probably learned it in the wrong key. I think, yeah, it was on the A string I learned it. And... <laughs> I don't know, and then I fell in love with it, and then yeah. I bought like a two hundred dollar guitar, and 
or my mom bought me a $200 guitar. I think I got a, I had a Squire and like the amp combo, you know? Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> and yeah, just taught myself how to play. What'd you and use? And then to- I, I had like three lessons, but then on the way to a lesson, I got a speeding ticket and I was 16. And since I was only 16 and I, and I was like going like, I think like 78 miles an hour in a 55 and they took my license for like 90 days. So therefore I had to cancel guitar lessons. And then I never, then I never had guitar lessons again. Wow. What a reason. (laughs) (laughs) When you were teaching yourself, what what were you using? Were you like listening to records and, and trying to emulate that? Yeah, just learning by ear. And then, uh, man, I can't even remember what it was at the time. It wasn't Ultimate Guitar. It was whatever was before that that you could look up tablature. Like before, like, Guitar Pro and YouTube. and This would have been like dial-up internet, basically, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, you don't even, like, learn it on the computer. You, like, print them off. (laughs) (laughs) On your dot matrix fucking (laughs) paper, yeah. (laughs) It was awesome. It was like, and now, like, everybody's just like, oh, you want to learn a song? I'm going to get on YouTube and watch this guy play it, and then I'll learn it and, you know half hour yeah yeah it it wasn't like that back in the day but it's i think that 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 route of like teaching yourself you know by listening and doing the the tabs that that develops your ear in a way that that not many things can because unless you just learn everything wrong (laughs) like what is it john denae just learning things wrong and that gave him his own unique style but like i think if you really focus on just listening to the music you like and try to play it you know play what you hear to come out of your hands that sticks with you for the rest of your life you can't really, yeah yeah for sure you can't really but yeah a lot of it comes down to like you know anybody can play like uh god what what is it uh i mean you could play like a lot of songs but to sound like certain guitar players like uh is it sweet child of mine for instance like that that epic uh riff in the in the beginning like it doesn't sound like the riff until you up pick all of it and then all of a sudden it sounds like the way he played it. So like yeah. you don't you won't see that from tabs. You gotta like True. listen to it. And once somebody like explains like try to uppick it and then you do, all of a sudden you hear it and you're like, Holy crap, that is in there. But it's also kind of amazing because you listen to a band like Dream Theater try to cover Metallica and it sounds terrible because it's like John Petrucci's <laughs> incapable of having bad tone like Kirk Hammett. So you're like, why do these songs sound in time? And like, why yeah, is all the exactly. solos perfect? Suddenly it's, it's, it's like, the same. Oh, you have to do it all terribly. And like, those guys are incapable of doing it. So like, that's the opposite. That's the yeah, opposite the, of what you're saying. Some of the beauties and the flaws, man. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. With yep. Metallica, sure. <laughs> I'm just all kidding. of the beauty <laughs> all of the beauty is in all of the flaws <laughs> well so let's go from there brock so l- let's kind of walk through some of your early band experiences because obviously you yes, picked brock, up a guitar let's do the brock walk yeah let's do the brock walk we everyone's got to get to know you i feel like all like the great white buffalo these stories are, are not available on the internet right so you're you're enlightening our audience to how you became who you are so do we so give you the shock you- clock on the brock walk <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what's the question? So the question is, that, <laughs> welcome to the entire podcast where we don't actually get to the question. No, the question is, okay, you started teaching yourself guitar, the speeding ticket, you stopped taking lessons. Obviously, you continued to continued to keep working on guitar. When did you start playing in a band or put a band together, start playing with other musicians? I mean, the second I picked up a guitar, we were <laughs> awful. Like, we had a, my first band, we didn't even know that, like I didn't know what standard tuning was. I didn't know what drop D tuning was, but we were covering corn songs not knowing what drop tuning was. It was it was really really good. I wish you guys could have heard it. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's no four track uh, demos kicking around. Yeah, other than that like then I eventually figured it out and kept playing like every day after school we would walk home and we'd go to my buddy's house and we jammed in his basement and uh, I think Evanescence was huge at the time. So like we had a chick singer and a, and then a guy singer. Um, so we, yeah, like a, a guy and a chick singer and then we would just jam. And then eventually like she left and then we started getting heavier and then we started the, like the new metal phase was out. So then we started playing new metal and then like American metal and I don't, and then it just evolved from there. But, the, uh, my high school band was called Deaf Child Area because, there was a sign on the street that we practiced on. 
<laughs> Could have been Cypress Hill, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Anyway, so that was my high school band, and then I graduated and moved to Columbus and met a bunch of guys and joined different projects and, um, yeah, like in and out of, like, with different people. And then uh, I joined the band Live My Last with a bunch of different guys, and we used to play frat parties, and it was more like a party band. Did it bother band. you that that's an incomplete sentence? What? Live my last. It's an you know, incomplete ne- sentence. To this day, I really don't understand the name of it. Who um, came up with the name? Live my last fucking what? The what? guys that came up with the Adam name. Is this an Adam Gilbert, like, ask questions, have everyone ask it's questions? Just like, yeah, it's just like YOLO, man. Like, Yeah, you, but I feel like you, you only live <laughs> once is pretty self-explanatory, man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's deep. It means you're a douchebag if you ever you say gotta YOLO think about it, man. I know it's that what I don't want to be in an elevator with you. Benny, it's whatever you want it to be, man. YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, yeah, like, so we played frat parties, and it was more of a party band, and those guys, like, they were uh, going to Ohio State, and, like, they they were graduating, so they really didn't want to do it, um, like, full-time, and so then they all left the band, and then I found all new members, and then it kind of actually... Uh, we started writing original songs, and um, and yeah, it kind of kind of picked up. We were we were pretty pretty good regional band, and then that's how I met like the guys from Starset. Like I used to play shows with Adam's band and and Downplay, which is Dustin's band, and so met all those guys. And then like eventually, everybody's bands were kind of like fizzling out, and then we all kind of joined up. So at what point did like the the shows start to become something where you were seeing a response and like a crowd? Um, was that something pretty immediate because there was an actual scene there, or were you starting to do like the you know like everyone does playing in front of your parents and like a couple the other bands, and like was there a clear jump for that, or was it just the area and the and the other bands you were playing? With? I mean, yeah, like coming up in high school when I was in high school, it was definitely just playing for your parents and then anybody that you saw at school, and then you'd invite them out. We used to play this place called the Clubhouse, which was like an all ages kind of place. That's when I first met Adam of my band, but I didn't know it was Adam <laughs> because like we were like in high school, but he had a band called. Uh, Something oh, like, was it anyway. of human or was it before that? No, before that. Uh, oh, okay, I can't uh, remember. Something fire, I can't remember. Okay, um, but anyway, yeah, we used to play shows with them. He actually showed me a ticket that said Deaf Child Area and what whatever his band was. I can't uh, yeah, remember, I remember but. that. <laughs> but anyway, so we used to play like straight up like punk shows, and then like you know pack in a bunch of kids, and then but really my shows that I was a part of really didn't take off till I moved to Columbus and actually got into the scene. And the scene is, it used, used to be great in Columbus so much anymore. Maybe not, but, um, it used to be good. Uh, but a lot of bands come out of Columbus, but they don't get big in Columbus. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. star set blew up in Denver. Yeah, so. it's interesting. No, it's true. There are a lot of big bands that are from there, people that are based there. But I want you to talk, Brock, more about Live My Last because that was a huge, I mean, and I obviously know this knowing you really well, but that, that was like a huge like era in your life. So I think you should go into a little bit more detail about joining it, who were the people running it, and the transition to you kind of being one of the band leaders and being more involved. I mean, you had an album that became like pretty successful and is part of the reason that you well, yeah. are in Star Set now, right? Yeah, I mean, like I... uh I joined the band, like I said, all the guys were in school and then they left school and um, they didn't really want to do the band thing anymore because they all had to get careers, you know. So they all left. I found new guys. So at that point, I was basically band leader because, um, like I said, I was the only person left. <laughs> yeah. How did you join, though? Like, how so, did you how did you link up with the guys that were already like, what was the concept before you joined the band and how did they find you? Uh, my buddy, Jerry saw like a facebook post i don't even know how he saw it but it was for they were looking for a guitar player and i had just moved to columbus so i was like cool i'll go jam and you know and i got it and i like we were pretty good i I think we were okay like but once i once everybody was replaced and we started like really getting serious with it uh i met jay jay was the uh, singer to live my last he actually passed away of a of a heroin overdose, but that was uh, a really sad story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, it was actually fentanyl, but is what okay. got him. But um, so yeah, me and him would just we would write and write and write and write and a bunch of different songs. And we went to a studio and we said, "Here's all this crap." And then this uh, guy, his name was Ben Shiggle, our producer. He uh, kind of sat down with us and said, crap, 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 just started throwing stuff out. This is awesome. We're taking that. This is good. And he, and he just basically took all our songs and Sounds told like us what was crap. Sounds like a great producer. I love it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was perfect because it, cause I used to write so busy. Mm-hmm. Everything was so busy. And if you listen to Live My Last, it's it's not very busy. It's, pre- it's poppy. It's uh, There's like some little diddlies here and there, but... Like, I used to have all this, like, emo, like, I don't know, thrash band, like, diddlies in the back. It all got cut. <laughs> anyway, because of that, it was it was somewhat successful. So, uh, yeah, he started taking our good ideas and then saying, what if you thought about it this way? And then I would take those ideas and I'd write. And, um, and basically, like, the band was always just, like, you know, me and Jay would write a gist of a song and then the other guitar player and the uh, the drummer, I would write like a basic drum beat and give it to the drummer and then the drummer would like blow your mind by bringing it to life, you know? So well, That's a really important thing I think you just brought up because I remember my first experience with a producer was like, dude, you're not, you're, uh, I'm the one that signed. You're not in this band. Like, why are you fucking like stepping on my dick and on my children, like in front of me and then saying, this is fucking stupid. Like I've been playing this riff forever. But it was the same thing. Once I started listening to him, it's like every single thing you said was right and made yeah. my album better. And like you, you said it too. Like, dude, my brother and I used to write all the time, and we had a case of the diddlies all the time. It was like, oh, we're gonna do an arpeggio here. We're gonna do a sign <laughs> wave. Like right over the we're gonna do an SP two uh, eight oh eight drop right here. Why don't we do that while the double bass is going? And it was just like literally like the wall of sound, but by wall of sound, just literally you've used so many patches that you've just exhausted the histogram. And Corey's annoyed by that word, but I just love using the word histogram. Um, the point is, is that dude, I, I, I can totally relate to that. And I think that that's great because sometimes, look, there's lots of shitty producers, just like there's shitty doctors, but like some of them will give you good tits. And it's the same with producers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's a reason why Nirvana sounded like they did with Steve Albini. There's a reason why, you know, Butch Vig gets so much good shit out of people. Or Brendan O'Brien, the way he got those early Pearl Jam records. He just fucking captured the moment. Yeah. And, like, I, I, sometimes you have to do a trust fall. There's, yeah, there's something to be said, you know, when you're in bands, especially when you're in bands, you know, that you're starting right out of high school and with your friends, like, and you start doing that. And it, there's no manual for how to, like, be in a good band you just right, have to yeah. see what other people are doing and you don't really get a lot of like the songwriting tips especially you know, nowadays you just go on youtube and how to write a song you know all that <laughs> shit but you know when you're doing it back then it was just kind of looking around say, all right that, that band's doing really well like what are they doing and you know kind of like learning that way but when you get into a studio for the first time and you work with someone whose job it is to just tear you apart and like mm-hmm. be like brutally honest because most people aren't really honest with you when you're in a local band. They're like, oh yeah, I'll come to your show. Oh, you guys were really good. That was great, man. Good job. Right. And meanwhile, well, plus they're like, people, I'm never some people don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I think uh, there's definitely like a uh, an awakening, you know, rude awakening sometimes when you ha- you get in that situation where someone looks at what you've been working on for a long time and you're really like you know heavily involved in and you've like I made this. This is great. And they're like, that's awesome. That's let's get rid of that immediately. Yeah. Uh, and it well, takes, let me ask it takes some, no, just real quick. It, it just takes some maturity <laughs> to know that you got to trust that people. And like Ben said, yeah. it's, a, it's a trust fall into that person. And I think afterwards you now have that new like level of understanding of what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're paying them for, you know, to right. both Brock and to Corey. So now that you guys like, no, cause like, I feel like now that I know that a producer, like I know Corey's going to come in and basically rip me a new asshole. Then anything I think is good, he's going to be like, so did you practice that? Like, is that actually what you practice? So this is what we're working. Okay, that's cool. We can we can comp it. We can, maybe we can punch some shit later. Like, But I now have emotionally removed. That's what I've just given up. Yeah, <laughs> right, I've emotionally right. removed myself that is defeat. from that is a being defeat. like in love with things. Because before I even do it, because I know I'm going to bring like smart people in there and be like, no, no. I'm like, really? That's the part you don't like? Nah, dude. Really? 
And then a lot of the times it like comes out way better. And then later I'm like, this is, this sounds awesome. And like, you know, Corey would be like, well, I, I told you to do that. No, you didn't. This was totally my idea. <laughs> you know, like you just like in your mind think that it was you, but really it was yeah, the producer well, like the engineer. The 80-20 thing, Whisper. you know, is, is a good way to approach it. Like if you have an idea that you just get 80% of the way there and know that the last 20% is going to be like the fine tuning and all the like the extra shit, you're better off than coming in with like, this is exactly how it's going to be. And I, this is yeah. my, you know, unless you're a complete visionary and, you, and you're the, you know, you're producing your own thing. That's one thing. But yeah, when you're writing now, Brock, like, how do you, do you feel like you are uh, producing yourself at a level where you know that if you were to go in and sit with, you know, someone else or y- you would have a good idea, you think you're coming in with stuff that's pretty much where it needs to be? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think I'm I'm very good with uh, like coming up with a gist, and I just the, the reason being is because I don't like making decisions. Ask Siobhan. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me started. So like I'll have like this riff done like five different ways, and I just don't know mm. which way to go with it. <laughs> Anyway, so because I've always done the best with bouncing off another person. Sure. So if I can bounce ideas like uh, like the live my last days, I I bounced off Jay. Like he would just me and him would just work and just like bounce ideas. He would throw them back and be like, "No, do this," and then we'd we'd just bounce back and forth. But I think I mean I can write by myself for sure, and I come up with a lot of great stuff and. I'm more of like the thought out process. So when I do write, I like to sit and write by myself. Um, I'm not so much the jam type of like, I'll, I'll sit with a drummer and jam some stuff, but if it's like a full band, like I'm not, cause I, I like to go where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I don't know. I like to, I like to think about it. So I mainly write by myself and then I show it to people. And then when you're writing, do you, like envision the whole song, like the full arrangement, all the instruments. Or are you writing like riffs and then being like, someone's going to do something dope with this, you know? So I just write pieces. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of, kind of, cause you can do it so many different ways, but especially with technology, man, like you don't like, I'm going to go from this verse parse part into a pre-chorus. Why? If the verse part is like making my mind want to go into this piece that might not go there in the song, but I'm going to like follow that and write something there. And then I'm going to cut it out and put it someplace else. And then it's going to sound way better than where I wrote it. But like, the thing is I don't like to stifle my creativity by like trying to come up with a, like a, you know, overall song at at first, you know, at, at least until I, once you have the hook, then then you can basically put a structure in but if you if you don't have a hook or the gist of the song then it's it's pointless to even like start doing that in my opinion but yeah that's great what do i know (laughs) no but it's it's funny i'm i'm always interested in your like very diverse interest in music because it's like you think okay brock's like a rock guy plays in star set or whatever but yeah i mean like your musical taste is so broad it's like and you you didn't even mention sour blood like you're kind of like heavy Broad metal Brock. Be- the pre-live my last days it was like re- like hardcore like metal stuff that you were really into and playing and then it went to like straight like pop punk like electronic type stuff yeah i and did that- both yeah so i mean even the stuff that you write kind of reflects a lot of that you, Brock, you like why the- do you hate your parents <laughs> what <kind of laughs> question is that the people that listen to that kind of music <laughs> have you ever been to like a pop punk show and seen like the chicks there like my mom and dad don't get me <laughs> come on yeah, i mean Brock, I, I was, you know I, i'm not even lying on this I one was, like th- go to some of those shows those chicks are there and they're looking for guys just like brock siobhan you should be true. fucking careful those fucking people those i listen to the pop punk but i'm so misunderstood and i have a notebook in my room with crystals like those people are the ones you should be scared of. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they exist. They're also fourteen year old. I, girls, I, I agree. I mean, I was definitely the black sheep in my family, for sure. Like, you know, my my sister got great grades and went went straight on to college. I took a year off, and and uh, I don't know. We're we're a farming family, so like I was the only one that really played music. 
and and like kind of off topic but speaking of my sister but like she she's like say she's always gone through things in life and and i ask her like what kind of music do you listen to and she says oh i don't really listen to music and then i said you have no outlet for your emotions like you basically like when you're a high school kid and you're listening to emo like even or like emo or like the like folks music or like you know all this different kind of stuff did you, you just listen to this folk music folks folks, folks music, music. <laughs> yeah but, folks music old folks music <laughs> but anyway like you're listening to these songs and it gives you a a place to like kind of feel like uh somebody is like sharing like what you're feeling or you're able to like express yourself in music that only you're hearing but mentally i feel like it relieves a lot of like build up like emotions because you know i'm not a very verbal person but i listen to music and like uh, if i'm having a bad day i'll listen to like certain songs and then have a better day and if i'm like working out you know you you want to listen to metal or you you know if you're running or whatever it may be yeah. Anyway, so what I'm saying is like some people don't listen to music and they don't really have an outlet. Yeah, and I, I've, I've I've taught kids guitar lessons and they don't listen to music. So try that one on. <laughs> What's your favorite band? I don't listen to it. Why are we here? What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, just just think about like what most people or what people get out of songs, like especially like in some of the Starset fans, man. Like you have people come up to you. And say like, man, your your guys' songs really pulled me out of a dark place, and that's that's incredible, you know, because I've had bands do that for me, you know, and especially when you're young and like coming of age, man, like you you don't really know what to do with your emotions, and you don't you have you don't even have like an outlook on life yet, you know, like most kids don't even understand. <laughs> High school rocked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that when I listened to The Fresh Prince of Belair, that it was parents don't understand. Or is that DJ Jazzy Jeff? Or are they a pair? I'm really not sure. He said yeah. he said that yeah. they didn't understand, but I feel like it was the parents I that mean, didn't parents, understand yeah. us, Brock. Well, the thing is, parents don't, uh, like most parents don't understand. You know, because they don't so know. So do we just not all, who understands that? Well, the thing is, we all go through a lot of the same stuff, like growing up, but we forget. A lot of people forget. Once you start having kids, like, I mean, can you, I can't remember 15 years ago. I don't know how I felt. I just know all I had was music. So that's what I did. And my 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 family thought that was weird. My mom loved it. You know, she was super supportive. But, you know, my dad and stuff like, you know. You guys are awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what dads are for, though. Right? And we were. Like. <laughs> it, that was your but, first producer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just right. throw that shit out. <laughs> right. Start again. But the thing is, like, maybe, like, hey, dad, if you think I'm awful, how about some lessons? <laughs> like. <laughs> no, it's always no. interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's amazing that you've done what you've done because, you know, I grew up in the opposite situation where it's like I had access to everything. So I feel very spoiled. You know, it's like, oh, it's important to know piano and to know violin. How and were to... your croquet lessons? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do croquet, but I'm sure my mother would have liked that. She really wanted me to be a cricket player. And what I was just about to say cricket, dude. Did you do yeah. cricket instead? It was one of those. It's like I had to grow up speaking French like a good Victorian housewife. Did you play uh, I did a little bit, yeah. With of course my you did. Yeah, yeah. No, sh- you I mean, love playing with so, a shuttlecock. Yeah, it's it's so bougie, but like, but you know, it, it's it's amazing to me when I think about all the things I had access to, like lessons, exposure to music, to classical music, to stuff that so many people have to pay a lot of money for, and then someone like Brock, you know, that's like barely had a few lessons and has carved out an entire career in music, and here we are playing in the same band from remarkably yeah. different backgrounds. Y- you had like orchestra in high school. Yeah, exactly. My high school didn't know what an orchestra was. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, completely different places too. I mean, Circleville for anyone that doesn't know is, I mean, what it's like thirteen thousand people. The population, small town. It's rural mm-hmm. southern Ohio. Mostly you know? bass players. <laughs> so, bass players? I don't know about that. So anyway, <laughs> but um. Anyway, continue. 
Yeah, I don't know. We got derailed a little bit, but uh, <laughs> as, we, no, as it happens. Yeah, but we were talking about live my last, and you know, I think this brings up the important point that we've talked with other people about is you know when you're starting projects, knowing to trust producers or to invest that extra time or money or whatever it has to be, and and getting someone that's got that outside specialty. You know, because not talking about even some of your earlier projects, you'd released albums before. You know, where you didn't quite do that, and maybe had you done that some of the other things might have taken off or been more successful. I mean, there's a huge difference between the product that you as a young person might release on your own thinking, oh, I don't want to pay the extra money for a producer. And then with Live My Last, you go in and it turns into something completely different with songs that still have almost as many streams as Star Set in some cases, right? I mean, I don't know about that. Really? Okay, I, mean, I thought some of some, them got pretty I, close. But. I guess like some, we, we had one song that did very, very well. Um, and a few like, a, like little behind it but um yeah like that that was the band that once we wrote we were done with pre-pro i would not let the band release it until we actually went in with and worked with the producer on it because like i back in those days like i read a bunch and talked to a bunch of people and i mean that's what it took and like because Anybody can come up with a mess of ideas, but to make it like a commercial release, like you need an outside ear. And it's better mm -hmm. if that ear is like a dude that's like... Did you guys you have know, label support? We did not, no. So tell me this, how as an independent act, aside from getting the music great and then taking the time with the producer and getting the production up to speed, like that's almost the easy part. How'd you get people to care and how'd you get how'd you rack up those streams how'd you spread the word like once the album was done yeah oh man uh well i mean we pedaled we just like played show after show after show different markets and uh really pushed twitter like our twitter following um so the guitar player he's i think he, yeah he he's in marketing now because that's what he's really good at um so he would always hit up Twitter and, you know, Instagram and like kind of blow us up and then get a lot of love for us. And, um, and like, yeah. So like I'll, I'll still meet, especially in Columbus. Like I walked into zoomies one time and somebody asked me like, uh, like, aren't you in a band? And I'm thinking they're thinking about star set and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, live my last. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was in that band. Anyway, so like I asked how they, they heard of me and they said, yeah, I used to follow you on Twitter. So mm -hmm. like we were, I don't, back when, you know, I was actually on Twitter. I don't really do Twitter anymore, but um, we had a crap ton of followers. Um, and that was mainly the guitar player would like kind of get it out. But then we played shows and all the shows we played, I mean, we were we were a decent live band. So uh, we used to open for a lot of big acts. And then so we pedaled, played anything and everything, and then basically stopped and only played premium shows. Mm -hmm. Like uh, like when the used would come to town, we would open for the used and then uh, like just just mainly national national shows. Uh, one time, God, I can't remember what band it was. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to name the band because that would be wrong. But outsold them in tickets, and my band made zero. Oh God! Money. Oh my God! And this band, because we knew the person that owned the club, um, that paid out to the promoter and stuff, they they walked away with like like thousands and thousands of dollars. And like when once we were done, the place cleared out, so that. <laughs> That that's that was uh, yeah. coming up in that the fun of being band. a support so, act. Yeah, so I yeah. mean, we we would pull crowds, you know, yeah. which was which is definitely important. If you don't pull a crowd, then it's it's not going it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, no, but you guys were really on from the stories you've told me, like an upward trajectory of like obviously you know drawing great crowds, being a good band. You had a great album that came out, doing great shows, and. You know, it's interesting how, can you maybe talk a little bit more about, I don't know if you want to get into what happened with Jay, but, you know, going on to how you ended up interacting with Star Set, like how that band kind of unraveled a little bit and where, you know, why that happened. So, 
I know exactly how that happened. So basically, our singer, even doing the record, and he struggled since he was like 18 years old with substance abuse. Substance abuse. Anyway, so when we did the record, and then after the record, like, he like we were playing shows but he would like get more and more down the hole and then we'd pick him back up and then he'd like be good for a while and then go down the hole and he always struggled with it anyway one time i don't know what happened we were shooting a video and some stuff went down and then all of a sudden we made the stupidest mistake of our lives and said we're done with this we're going to replace you that was like the stupidest thing we ever did because <laughs> you're not going to replace the lead singer, especially Jay. Like without Jay, I like the band wasn't the band. Like me and him wrote everything. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so then we tried out a couple other guys and we played some shows and then eventually we brought Jay back. But that was after our like we had plateaued because we're not climbing anymore. Um, so we brought him back and then we played some shows and then we were like, screw it. Let's just, we're going to turn this band into a money grab because at this point, like we're all like, we're getting older and everybody's starting to get careers and the guitar player was about to graduate college. And so we're just going to play bars and make money. So we played bars and we made a bunch of money and, and then me and the drummer, uh, were talking. He said, Hey, Dustin with downplay is playing a show we should open for him. So we called him up and we said, hey, we want to open. And this was mainly so the drummer could get me to corner Dustin and, be, <laughs> and say, yo, I'm your guitar player. <laughs> and then he said, I said, I hear you're putting together a project. I want to, I'll, I'll play guitar on it. And then he said, cool, man. Well, let's get together like next couple of days. So then I did. And then I joined Starset. Your drummer's but, a good wingman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he he definitely hooked me up because he knew he he knew the band had, like we we made a mistake that we weren't coming back from. Yeah. So is what. Are you proud of yourself? Are you asking about my me? Mistake? Yeah, you're proud of yourself. Why would I be proud of myself? Bringing a grown man to tears, making him relive through something like I I you brought I was like tearing up <laughs> watching Brock talk about this because that's horrifying, dude. Like yeah, to actually it sucked, man. have to get to a point where you like you're with your boy that you love and like you're like listen I've been there like I understand this like, and you like love that person but they're fucked up or you're fucked up and you have to make a decision like hey man like you know I can't do this anymore and then your crowd's like I, we don't give a shit what you're doing behind closed doors we don't give a fuck yeah because and you don't even think about it because you're just like I'm done with this shit and then it cause the poor fucking kid probably to spiral even more out of control which fucking sucks and then they bring him back the damage is fucking done and then like to me watching you like it's a very cathartic thing because it's like a lot of people who've been in bands have dealt with that with substance abuse mm -hmm. and like i'll tell you this right now like i made a pact after like my 15th friend died from substance abuse that was like I, if you're gonna kill yourself that way like i'm not even going to your funeral because like I, I just had to remove remove myself emotionally because it's such a selfish thing, but it sucks. It sucks. It's the worst thing too because you always think to yourself that you could have done something, you could have said something, you could have been there, you could have whatever. And, and like yeah, and I yeah. can just feel that through your voice, man. So I just I, I my heart bleeds for you, man. Because like that's one of those things where it's like it's a hard thing to like even talk about and like yeah. you know I and the thing is you don't that. yeah yeah you don't really realize until like you're older and you look back on it and you're like man like. I feel like there's a way better way that, that could have been handled, but you know, like you don't, I, I don't understand because I've never had a substance abuse problem. Never. I, I stay away from most things because I know I have an addictive personality. Yeah. Well, you, you just buy, you just buy way too much gear. That's the, yeah. The, there, my, yeah. There's the addictive personality. <laughs> Brock's drug is gear to the point that there's no room for me in the studio anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You know what but, I did? Actually, Brock will appreciate this. As a sign of my love and commitment to Cindy, I moved 19 guitars out of my office, or her <laughs> office now, and moved it to a different place in my house. And like, I, I want you to understand how much uh, I had to like consolidate to make 19 guitars fit around the different areas of my house. Oh, but dude, is, I can help you. I can help you. I got, I got space over here in the corner, man. I'll help you out. Just send your Bro, guitars. Bro, at some my point, way. we're just gonna have to combine forces. <laughs> You got space, I got guitars, but I'm yeah. moving. 
You're moving. Wait. <laughs> ah. Hey, Rumi. What do I owe you a month? What's the rent like in Circleville? <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, I mean, all your guitars couldn't fit in my apartment. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Not enough space. But so, no, yeah. but I mean, going back to that, it's, it's, you know, interesting how many things outside of what you're making in terms of music goes into your path and whether you'll be successful or not. And it's, it's incredible to me how many stories you hear of people that get in their own way or things that don't work out or you make a bad move and it completely changes the, the trajectory of a project, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, obviously in this case, it, it worked out for you personally, but it's just interesting how those things pan out. Yeah. I mean, I, I got... I'm super fortunate and you say it all the time, like kind of things, they happen for me sometimes. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like that band was ending. I booked that show with Dustin so I could, you know, talk to him about his band and then join that band. And, uh, like I was, I was basically like done. I was, I was going to basically just play bars for fun, just make a little cash and like my music, like original wise was, I was kind of like stepping away from it. I was going to get real with, uh, real with like a job, probably end up going back and farming <laughs> with my family. And then I don't know. And then I was like one more show and that was with uh downplay. Um, and then it turned into star set. So I was super fortunate. Yep. Yeah. No, that was incredible. So, so then, so you met Dustin. So, what happened after that? So, obviously, the the project was just a concept at that point. So, uh, it was was the yes, album so already? Did he have some songs written already, or what was the deal? The album wasn't out. He had a song charting. Uh, it was My Demons. Actually, mm -hmm. was already charting when I had talked to him. Um, it was like way. It was super low. I think it was like maybe thirty nine or something on the chart. Um, active rock chart. And then I was like, "Hey, man, let's jam." And he's like, "Cool, come out." And I br I bring like this this all this gear, like you know that I'm used to playing with, like this huge pedal board, and the and and I'm sure I played all the songs wrong, you know, <laughs> because at this time, like I didn't play a baritone guitar. I my lowest tuning was drop C, and um, which wasn't too too bad for demons, but uh which was one of the song I learned. And then I went out and met with him. We jammed. Anyway, we rehearsed uh, for two weeks. I ended up getting on the internet, buying a baritone guitar overnight, got it, learned the rest of the record, and two weeks later we went on tour. And me and Dustin still talk about it to this day. I bet it was awful. <laughs> 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 you know? Like we we hadn't grown together as a band, like we we just all learned the songs and we got in a van and we went and like I'm, I mean a year later we actually we probably had it figured out and we we were grinding on tour opening for you know different bands and different artists and eventually like I think it was like three years in, uh, we got the opportunity to go out with Branky Ben. So yeah. once we went out with uh, Breaking Benjamin, it kind of elevated us yeah. for sure. And obviously you guys are, you know, extremely successful at this point, but can you talk a little bit about that first tour in terms of what that was like? Uh, just like, you know, the, the, the baby star set years. Oh man, it was, uh, it was a lot of testosterone driven fights and uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we all slept in a, the, the first tour, we slept in a 12-passenger van with this uh, thing called the birthday hole. And what it was was we had the fr two front seats, the driver's seat and the passenger, another bench. But then back behind that, was we built this this platform for a bunk upstairs and then a platform. And then, like, basically you crawled through the birthday hole is what we called it to basically sleep on the floor behind the first bench seat of the van. And, that, and that's what we did. We just all took turns just like sleeping in this 12-passenger van. It was only the four of us. We didn't have a sound guy, which I'm sure definitely just was the icing on the cake for <laughs> being a two-week-old two fresh band <laughs> coming out on tour. Uh, yeah, we uh, – who'd we – I can't – I think we opened 
We went out on a tour with uh, Gemini Syndrome, I, I think was the band. If they weren't the first tour, they were the second. I, I'm not 100% sure. But, I mean, it was a blast. You know, like, I think it was only like two or three weeks living in this 12-passenger van. And, like, I had, like, I was working for Verizon Wireless at the time. And I'm like, hey, I'm going on tour. I go on tour and I come back and they're, hey, you got employee of the month last month. I was like, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't here for like <laughs> two or three weeks. But anyway, I got, <laughs> I got employee of the month. Then I was like, cool. And then I worked there for like another month until the next tour came. And then, and then that was it. At that time, did you, did you think anything of it? Did you think this is just, oh, this is a gig that I got? Or did you think there was something to it? No, I made it for sure. So, so did you want to be like a regional vice president for Verizon? <laughs> I, I could have got there, man. I was I was employee of the month. Yeah, two, dude. I mean, think about it. If you, just, if you just tried, you could have totally been like employee of the fucking region. I, I was uh, top in sales for uh, for my region of Verizon. It's because he had the I cute know. like emo haircut know, and so, all the soccer stop moms the applause. <laughs> yeah, the, the moms emo, were coming yeah. to hit on Brock for sure why. man I, I worked in the suburbs so like all the soccer moms would come in and you know you just flirt a little bit and sell them a bunch of stuff they don't need and accessories you know accessories <laughs> and like home phone like I think I, I got employee of the month because I pushed the most home phone they, I can't remember what it's called home phone connect or something like that I don't know it was some kind of home phone thing and I sold a bunch of them. Anyway, did you make them nervous that they were gonna like fall on the floor and need to call nine one one in the case of a flood? Anything and everything. I can't even remember how I sold them. Anyway, it's it's not, it's not really important. But I got employee of the month two months in a row, and then left the company to tour with Starset. So never looked back. Yeah. So and it was. I the, mean, oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say well, like to what Corey was asking earlier a little bit. Did it seem? Uh, pretty obvious that it, there was a, a path that it was going to turn into something because that's I mean it can be risky it's like okay we're going to do a two-week tour in a van we don't know for sure what's going to happen like you know to quit or something. employee in the month at Verizon Wireless right but you know I when mean, you're it's in a these serious <laughs> you know opportunity cost. it's a crazy thing to walk away from right <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I'm, saying. I'm not saying necessarily it is or it isn't but I'm just saying Bunch to walk away from moms. to walk away from anything where you've got some level of security that's definitely a leap you know for something where it's like you're making no money you you don't necessarily know what it's going to turn into so I mean how did you feel at the time was did it seem like like this is something that's going to happen for me like what was what was it like I mean, it was super scary, but I think I was young enough to like not be super worried about it. Like I quit my job like like a year before that or a couple years before that, quit my job, moved to Cleveland and slept on a recliner to do the LML record for a month. Like we did that. And I mean, that's just can't what I did. Can't do that shit anymore, man. I can't. I couldn't Ask do that Siobhan, anymore. You'll be able to pull fucking muscles. You won't be able to walk. You think <laughs> yeah. you're fucking cool. You can't sleep on that shit, no dude. That way. is not okay. People ask me all the time, like, man, like, yeah, you guys are in buses now. Like, would, would you ever start another project, go out in a van? Absolutely not. Oh, my God. No, it's horrible. And yeah, Brock is such like a comfort freak at this point. <laughs> it's like he's got to have his pillow on tour. I mean, it's like everything. I definitely, I definitely appreciate it. And like, I love that I did it. Could I do it again? I don't know. I feel like I'm, I might be a little too old to do it. Um, I think I would just complain all the time. <laughs> he already complains. We're, we're, he's like a crotchety old man. The, today I like woke up when we were recording our other episode and I was like hobbling around because I pulled my back out. And it's, yeah, welcome to your 30s. It's like everything feels so much harder. <laughs> Listen, the, the powertrain warranty is over. Once you hit 30, it's like you, they call, you go to the doctor and they're just like, yeah, dude, just stretch. Well, how, what am I going to feel yeah, better? I, I don't know. How much are you willing to stretch a day? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like I, like I said, I was telling you earlier, like, dude, I have a good hip and a bad hip. And like one of my hips is like, at least 30% better. Like, are you kidding me? Have you done a booty band where you start walking <laughs> in a weird way? And then all of a sudden, like one of your fucking legs is totally not helping. Like, what the fuck, dude? But the that's what happens. Using a booty band is just hilarious to me. Yeah, dude. But you want to know what? Your ass will look great. 
<laughs> you live in Miami. You guys right. should know better. So I got to get true. a booty band. <laughs> well, dude, if you want to have like powerful hips and like do the duck walk, like where you go like the listen, dude, I have back problems. Band. <laughs> right, maybe we, we we could use a sponsor. Yeah, is this too. a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we are... like endorse a bunch of things without getting any money from them. So it's I fine. mean, I personally like these blue light glasses. You know what I mean? Like from Amazon. That's what I was telling Brock to get. Those the glasses for like the oh, yeah. computer. Oh yeah, dude, the- your eyes are gonna be all fucked up. Like my grandfather, I remember when I was younger, we would watch like Mash, like you know, like the show Mash yeah, with all yeah. the Alan Alda, Hawkeye shit, and like in, in the dark on a CRT television, and he'd always be like, "You can't do, you can't watch television in the dark. You're gonna go fucking blind." <laughs> I'd be like, "What are you talking about, pops?" <laughs> Like, seriously, you crotchety old fucking man. And I never said that to him because he would literally beat the shit out of me if I and said that And here you him. are with your blue Yeah, and now I'm like, dude, I'm, so I'm like staring at the screen a bunch. And I'm like, my eyes hurt. And I go upstairs <laughs> and Cindy's wearing glasses. I'm like, wow, you look really hot, babe. Is this for later? She's like, no, this is this is to help my eyes. I'm like, so that's what, what you're wearing right now? Yeah, they're for like blue light. Oh, I, don't, I, can, okay. I have 20-20 vision. Uh, but I'm losing my 2020 vision by staring at it. Right, I do not have 2020 vision. <laughs> I have like one good eye. I can see like anything with this eye, but this is like blurry. <laughs> I always joke that my my I right ear is someone it, about that is a U87, <laughs> but my left ear is an SM57. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking true, dude. Your brain—it's like crazy. Me too. It com- it compensates, dude. So like you don't notice it, but then you're like sleeping on the couch one way, and you're like, why does it sound like bullshit? And you go this way, you're like, oh yeah, that's just because my yeah. fucking ears fuck. I have the same thing. That's why all your Ugh. mixes are super loud in one side, and <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, oh my god, uh, we're coming up on the end of our first hour here. Is um, it the end? It it's, is it is the end. Have we got there? Have people subscribed? Siobhan, tell them where they can go. They can go to 2020-d.com, find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, go to the YouTube, definitely check out the YouTube cast. Brock is dreamy, as Ben likes to say, so definitely watch the video. He did he was also today. on Lost Symphony, just so you know, chapter one, with yep. the incredible Richard Shaw, who he, he's taking lessons from. It all comes full circle, just really so does. you know. And by the way, I recommend very highly taking lessons from Kelly, but the thing is, every single time I take a lesson with him, I go, wow. Wow. Like, I, like it, just one of those, like, I didn't, what, I, I don't know, like, I guess you, you don't know what you don't know, right? Like, you don't yeah. know what you know. Like, it's one of those things where he's like, oh, you know how you have four, like, you're, so a lot of people hold down four pressure points. The reason people think that I play so effortlessly is that I only have one. So no matter what, like, when some people are holding down two or three, he just lightly lifts his fingers up. So he only has one pressure point. And so he has, like, the least amount of effort. And... Like just learning that and this then relearning. The, this how is to, the knockoff Kelly lesson. Yeah, but but just hearing that one thing was like, whoa. And then I realized that every Metallica song I'd ever played, the pentatonic, I'm holding down, like I'm like gripping it for dear life. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. gonna fucking die. When Kelly's just like like a fucking ballerina around weathering me for every fucking fat guy thing. You watch me on stage and like you like I kill the guitar, man. Like I just way overplay. Like I've always been like that. I just like rip the strings off if I could, you know, just like manhandle and like. But like obviously in a studio situation, you can't really do that because no, <laughs> it just it just shows like everything. Um, so that's that's mainly what I've been working on is technique of like relaxing. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the best players. They're so relaxed. Yeah, effortless. Can I, effortless. Can, can I give you a look at something that's really helped me learn how to do that is I play with metal picks now and they're very aggressive. And when you first play with them, it's like, oh my God, this is like way too much. And you have to dial back like 80%. But now I have so much control over the string uh, and, and, and it's so different for me that even I can play acoustic with a metal pick and people are like horrified, but you have to have like a serious <laughs> level of control so I can make it look like I'm going like this and I'm only using like a stylus level end of it. And that's one thing that if you like watch any of these hyper shredders or whatever, that they basically just use a fine point. Like there was yeah, even the- a pick made in like the 80s called like the stylus pick, which was basically like supposed to emulate like a record pin or whatever the fuck. So like, yeah, <laughs> using metal is one of those things where it actually has caused me to be chiller. For more guitar That's what tips. Van Halen used, right? <laughs> for more guitar lessons Check out the neuroticguitars.com. <laughs> right of course, now, so this annoying. Is the, uh, this is the end of this episode of 2020. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. <laughs> 
Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is going all the way back to episode number 15, featuring Adam Gilbert, also of Star Set. Check it out. We had a DJ in Johnson City, Missouri. I wish we had video because this place looked like an old switchboard. You're like, operator, I'll, I'll pass you through. You know, you're like putting the things up. And, and he's turning dials, cranking it up, and it's like the, the needles are twitching and it's finding the, <laughs> I, did, I can't, this is awesome. I can never forget this. And he sits down, he's like, all right, welcome to 107.9 The Buzz. Uh, we're here in Johnson City with uh, a band. What's your guys' name? We're like, <laughs> we're Starset. <laughs> all right, well, this is Dave at 107.9 The Buzz, and here's a band called star set playing a song all right um one <laughs> two you know we're like what? <laughs> you don't even know like any, he doesn't even care Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.